one more time. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Your Word holds life. So let Your Word be spoken today. I ask that Your words come through me. That You would get me out of the way. I would like to be out of the way for this one, Lord. That You would uh, shine through. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. That You would be glorified. That the words in my mouth, the meditations in my heart, the thoughts in my mind would be acceptable in Your sight, Lord God. You are our strength, our rock, and You are my Redeemer. Amen. September was a very busy month for me as a pastor, as a person involved in a lot of different ministries. My wife and I went to the American Association of Christian Counselors Continuing Education World Conference event. A very powerful moment. And the week before that, I was at Emmaus. The walk to Emmaus presenting there. That's where I heard the story for this coming Friday. While I was at Emmaus, I was praying. And I heard God say to me, Do not be afraid. I said, Okay. Afraid of what? Silence. Are you sure that I have something to be afraid of? Silence. Sometimes God answers with silence. So I began to look at things I might be afraid of, unsure of, but I got no answers. The following week at the annual associations or every other year conference, I began to hear a little more. As I was preparing for Vision Sunday, which we had a couple of weeks ago, I began to think about why God was doing what He was doing here and what He was wanting to accomplish. And while I was at the AACC, I began to remember how I got here to Milburn United Methodist. And I was thinking about that a little bit. And I felt God say, well, you know, I brought you there because there was a church that needed healing. You were a pastor that needed healing. And I said, I know. Good job, God. That was good. You did real good. Silence. A few minutes later, walking through the conference floor, and I see some things, and my heart starts to grieve. And I said, I'm just walking around an exposition hall. Why am I grieving? (coughs) 
He said, I brought you to Melbourne United Methodist because the church needed healing, so did you. And I said, I know, I know, I get it. And you told me, yeah, good job, thank you. It's been great. And he's going, you're not listening. So he said it again. I brought you there for you to find healing and the church as well. And then he said the next question. Have you been healed yet? And he showed me in that moment my wounded heart. My wounded, damaged heart doesn't trust easily. It equates love with pain and loss in many situations. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? Wounded hearts don't know how to love God's way anymore, if ever. They often keep people at arm's length. Don't want people to get too close. Too painful, we assume. And so, God was showing me that I love from a wounded broken heart. And I wasn't willing to let myself get too close to anybody. And I had my reasons. (laughs) I thought they were pretty good. Justifiable reasons. We have a lot of reasons for why we don't love as God asks us to. And I was telling God, you know, I've gotten close to churches before and uh, it really, really turned out painful. And uh, I didn't want to go through that pain again. So here's a few of the reasons I want to share with you this morning that um, I've not shared with hardly anybody. And I start off with the church where I was an intern in Chicago. I was learning how to be a youth minister, a regular minister, learning how to do all the different things. Uh, The head pastor was supposed to show me how to do things. But he had a problem. He had a problem that he liked to run everything, control everything, and everyone around him. And if he wasn't allowed to, he had a very bad temper. One day, he needed some supplies out of a storage cabinet that was locked. Nobody saw this happen. But... A crowbar was used to pry the cabinet open. And supplies were taken out of that cabinet that was reserved for something else. The next day, when I got to work at the church, people saw the cabinet was broken into and wondered what had happened. We asked everybody, including the pastor who was mentoring me, and he said, I have no idea what happened. About a week later, I was in the closet in my office there, and I was looking on the top shelf for something, and I found a crowbar. Placed there very conveniently. So if someone was looking for a crowbar to blame somebody for breaking into a cabinet, there it would be in my closet. I didn't say anything to anybody, but what I said was, you know, pastors can be pretty sneaky, mean people to frame me. But thank God I wasn't caught. I found the crowbar and put it where it belonged. 
Never said a thing to anybody about it until today, except for in passing on occasions many years later. But I began to learn some things that people aren't always perfect in their faith walk, even though they should be, as an example. But people aren't perfect. And so I wrote this off to, well, he had control problems anyway, but I lost trust. Later, when I began my full-time pastorate in southern Illinois, the district superintendent and I began working together on a lot of different projects. During that time, I also married my first wife, and we began to have difficult situations, and I shared them with him, and he said, well, I'm here to help you, I'll support you what I can, and he, and he worked with me. And I asked him how to handle situations, and he shared them with me. After that Season, he moved to New York to be on the General Board of Global Ministries, and a new district superintendent took his place who did not know me. It was then that the situation wherein my first marriage went from bad to worse, and this district superintendent knew nothing of the story and thought I was just complaining. I went through all the protocol that I needed to do before anything went bad, and nothing was done to help. When the marriage fell apart, things were said, and they took the side of everybody but me, even though I had no idea why. But there was no support, no uplifting, and in a painful moment, I left the conference, the church, and tied myself to another small church. Angry because I was basically left as a black sheep. Time went by and I moved on. Still speaking in small churches, um, working secular jobs, things like that. And um, wound up in Mississippi for a while at a church that loved on me really well. About this size. And I loved on them real good and it gave me courage to maybe try again. And so in 2006, I moved to Kentucky, assumed a full-time pastorate. And while there, the church started to grow. We were building things, and things were just taking off. It was, it was exploding. It was incredible. And then something happened where I mentioned that I was in <coughs> Illinois with the conference, and they said, well, why aren't you there now? And I said, because I left that conference. And when that happened, they said, I'm sorry, but you can't stay in this conference. You have to go back to that conference. And they pulled me out of the church mid-year, devastated the church and me. And we all grieved together. They said it's not fair, but they wouldn't do anything about it. But in the kindness of that conference's heart and that district superintendent, he let me stay to finish out a few more months before I had to move. One of the most difficult periods in my life, but I thought, God, am I ever, ever going to be able to serve you with effectiveness? I was still willing to try. So in 2008, I'd moved and married and living in Paducah. And my wife and I were, um, she was working at Heartland. I was managing the pasta house. And I found a little church where my dad had filled in a little bit in southern Illinois. And we were going up there on, from one time or another to speak. 
And I felt God put it on my heart to ask them if they would like me to work to be their pastor for, for next to nothing. And I'd work two days a week and help them build their church because they only had about 14 people coming. And I, and I gave them a blank check, basically, and said, I'm willing to do this. What do you think? Because they didn't have a pastor. All they had were fill-ins. And they said, we'll meet and talk about it. And the next thing I heard from them is no. And you will not be invited back to speak. It was at that moment when they said no that I took God as telling me a big no to ministry. Hurt by that small church, I quit. So what I said to others, I said I retired. I'm not preaching anymore. Invitations came and I turned them down. Here's what I said. There's going to be for me no heartbreaks from churches or the hierarchy or the bureaucracy of all this mess for me. I am free. No more getting too close to be hurt by a church or another pastor. And besides, I wasn't that effective. That's what I told myself. But the truth is, the enemy had broken my heart and my spirit. But I had to be broken. I hadn't been healed from the bitter resentments that could destroy a ministry that I was still carrying with me. And so, for four years, I didn't don a pulpit. Resisted all attempts at someone to say, you ought to try. I said, I know where this leads. Heartache. Heartbreak. No. I didn't have much hope for this ever happening again. But let's fast forward to 2012. I went to a 100-year anniversary of a church I'd spoken at in southern Illinois as a pastor there. And a stirring began in me and I thought, well, maybe God can still use me. There's a district superintendent who's a friend of mine here. I'm sure he'll listen. And I began a conversation with him He said, I'll check on things and he never would speak to me again. No idea why he did that. So I said, God, this is just ridiculous. I didn't trust church higher-ups anyway. If it said district superintendent, it meant stab you in the back. If it meant the United Methodist Church, you're going to have pain. Those words were synonymous to me. And three times in those ten years or so while living in Paducah, I walked into the district superintendent's office to hear a don't call us, we'll call you. One time I went in and was talking about my new marriage and family and how things are going and certainly they would listen this time and it was another don't call us, we'll call you. But that stirring that it happened in that church. I didn't know why it was there. I said, God, why are you doing this? You can't use me. You can't do this. I've seen it. And But I said, I'll walk into the district office one more time. If I told God, I'll show you 
You can't use me. This guy is going to say, Sorry, we can't use you. But I walked into the district superintendent's office and I saw Sky McCracken. And I didn't recognize him. But he did me. And he saw a friend. And I said, I want to talk to you, Sky, if it's all right. I said, I got a stir in my heart to do this again, but I don't think you can get it done. I can't, and I'm not willing to try, but if you can, and God can, then maybe. That day, Sky loved me. Been a long time since someone in the district superintendent's office had done that. A long time. He believed me. He believed my story. And more importantly, He believed in me. That moment began some of the healing of the hierarchy of the church and all the disappointments and heartbreaks I'd had. And, and, and He thanked me for coming in. He even said, thank you for saying yes to the call of God. Thank you. He was appreciative not dismissive. And he began to talk about a little church and needing a pastor and we talked about it. And I said, well, what else is out there? And he said, well, there's this church that needs a pastor, but they've been through a lot of wounding by ministers and uh, I just don't know. Um, and I said, well, I've been in celebrate recovery and I'm a wounded pastor. Maybe we can help each other. His statement after that was, I'll do some checking and I'll let you know. I thought it was a don't call us, we'll call you statement. I really did. But he did some checking. Then he did some more. Then he did a whole lot more checking. And finally he called me and said, i got one more place to check. And I said, well, are you leaning one way or the other? He said, I can't tell you that. I have one more call to make. And I remember that day in September of 2012, praying. I said, God, if You can use me, use me. If not, don't set me up for heartache and heartbreak again. I can't handle that any longer. And if You can't do it, God, that's fine. It's a pretty tough battle for me too. He called Nathan Joyce at Heartland. Strange how my wife was his administrative assistant and she worked closely with him and he had worked closely with us setting up Celebrate Recovery. And he watched how we handled things over the years. And uh, Nathan said, You'd make a mistake if you don't use this man. I love Nathan Joyce for that day. This guy called me. And he said, I just talked to Nathan Joyce at Heartland. He was the last guy I needed to talk to. He said, it's amazing all the things I find out about you now through all these years. Everywhere I talk, 
There's glowing recommendations of the work you've done. I found nobody giving you any bad reference but the highest praise except one person in Illinois. I said, I know, and it's a pretty important person. He said, it is. But I'm not going to let one person ruin God's ministry. If anybody else is, that's their problem. But I trust you. Let's give it a shot. That's what he said. Let's give it a shot. (laughs) He hung up. I hit the knees. Crying before the Lord. Called Nathan Joyce and left him a thank you voicemail. Still weeping as I left it. Still thankful for what he had said. You see, Sky knew that a wounded pastor could help a wounded church to heal. And it was a church wounded in similar ways to the ways I've been. Folks come here now that have been hurt by their churches. Many, many of us hurt by pastors after pastor, like I have. And when I saw this at the AACC, I said, God, I haven't even talked about it in any real terms. Because nobody even knows that I hurt too the same way or in similar ways by the same kind of people. And God said, it's time for you to be healed also. But I was blind to the fact that I needed it. Because I thought, here I am, I'm here, it's done. That's the healing. But the healing work is deep internally. The Holy Spirit has to clean out some junk, some resentments and bitterness. When I saw what I was blind to at that conference, I began to weep. I couldn't help myself. I would look at different booths where people were hurting and the ministries they were reaching to, and I'd just weep. And I, and I didn't understand it. And God said, let me show you something. And it was at that moment I saw all my painful church experiences welling up within, walking to the different booths, and each one dealing with some sort of pain, and I, and I was reflective on most of them. And he said, do you think you're healed yet? And I said, no. And he said, do you think you need to be? And yes. He said, do you think you've helped your church heal, or do you just think you've loved on them for a while? Or do you think they're ready? I said, I don't know. And I'm afraid to talk about it because it's been such a, a sensitive area. But God, it's been sensitive because I've been sensitive to it as well. And if nobody knows the pain that's real, how can they talk about it? And it was in that moment I knew why I had experienced all that pain and damages from all those churches and why it wouldn't work anywhere else. To give me authenticity to be real and to heal us both here, not somewhere else to try it where I wasn't going to go to a church that thought they needed healing. We talk about it in certain circles here, but we have not yet begun to embrace the brokenness. I was beginning to see a principle that God was showing me that week that God's healing reveals the ministry that He wants us to engage in. Our verse for today, 
It says, I want you to know that what happened to me has actually turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel. So if all those things that happened that hurt and broke my heart were to get me to a place where I'd be broken enough to be able to bring healing to myself and others because of it, then praise God! Thank the Lord He did it! It wasn't fun! It hurts to think about those things. But the healing starts when we ask God to heal our broken hearts and bind us together in love. Y'all didn't know I was going to preach this, but you picked a good opening song and I said, how did you know, God? Aren't you good? And i got to tell you, the healing does start with us asking God to heal us in our broken hearts. And I want you to know there are more out there just like us. I know God is asking us as a church to love them back home again. But we can't until we own the hurt. And this morning, I have something I want us to do. Oh, not alone. Mm, Not alone. This isn't about alone. This is about together. In the Scripture, it tells us in James 5.16, if you uh, confess one another and pray for one another, God will forgive your sins and heal you, restore you. So, while I was writing this sermon, I was asking God what He needed for me to pray in that confession. (coughs) What I needed to say for reconciliation and healing. And He gave me the prayer I put in the bulletin. And I tried to to soften it up, to make it easy, to make it so that it would sound safe rather than authentic. And this morning, it's in your bulletin. On the inside, on the left. And there's something I want us to do together. And I don't know how you're going to do it, but here's how I'm going to, and I recommend similar for yourself. This prayer that you share it with somebody. One somebody. One somebody. Either where you were at, or at this altar with somebody and pray it with them. And if they're willing to listen to them, pray it with you. Why? Because this is a prayer asking God to begin the healing, reconciliation, restorative work in me. In you. But if you are the one person in all of creation who somehow didn't ever have hurt or pain or a broken heart, then you don't need to do this. (laughs) And I promise you, you may not want to. But love is not always easy. And forgiveness is not always easy. But I promise you there were two things I had to do, and I'm doing them this morning, is extend forgiveness to those who have hurt and broken 
and wounded and damaged and to confess the bitterness that I've carried. I'm going to do that with this prayer. And I'm going to invite someone to listen. I don't know your struggle. I don't have to. But God knows your heart. And I've been praying today that God would search your heart through the Holy Spirit and reveal to you places where He can begin to heal and restore. I've got to tell you, this is what blows my mind. It was 1998 when the big wound happened in Illinois. It was 2006 when the next one happened and 2008 when the next one did. Is it ironic or tragic that I've waited nine years to do this or to recognize I needed to? I don't know. But I might have waited a whole lot longer had I not come to this church to love you, to be with you, to grow with you, to heal with you. And that's why I'm here. And then to find out what God's going to do with us after that. Would you pray with me? God, I uh, ask you to hear the prayers that we pray today. I'm going to pray the prayer for reconciliation. I ask that you would hear my cry of my heart. And that you would transform us as individuals, as a church, that we might be your transforming grace to the world around us. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer this morning that our heart hurt would turn to heart healed. Amen.